0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I am joined, as always, by my mysterious co-host, Mr. Mark Dusko. Saying mysterious because he Mark dropped a little bit of sizzle on Twitter last night. Says it's going to be the best, best episode of On the Margin. He's got a hot and spicy take for us this morning. I don't even know what it is. I'm I'm going to be surprised know. just like I everyone, said everyone else.
1: Really high. You know, you got all these companies doing the opposite. They take the bar off the rack. They put it on the ground. They <laughs> jump over. They claim that they're hygienic. I said, Not you, Michael, my friend. No pressure. Not you. No pressure, but this is going to be the most epic on the margin of all time. Um, So we're going to start off with, okay, I'm wearing, in honor of Snap, a sea of red, Snap getting snapped down 28% this morning. I saw that. And I have the Bitcoin Wizard uh, Magic Internet Money sock game going. And what it says right here is the purpose of, of what we're going to talk about today. Join us. Join us. We are we are in a world of hurt and the data is bad. And if we don't knock off this tribal bullshit and get people to come into the network, we're gonna have a really bad leg down. And that's mm. that's what we're gonna talk about today. And because the macro is legging down. Yep. I mean the macro is is bad, and we'll talk about that. Yep. But I you know I was out in Vegas, and I uh, was with Tim Peterson. You remember we had Tim on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Tim, I think, does the best work on keeping the Metcalf's law model up to date. And so you know, when we were at sixty seven five, his model was saying, you know twenty eight twenty nine fair value, and what happened? Boom, you know we came right back down. The problem is the model now is saying 18 19 and i said tim what what the hell what happened said mempool collapsing there is just no one using the network i'm like this is bad this is very very bad and so that's that's my uh you know topic of conversation today
0: okay now uh a, for for those of you who missed the the Tim Peterson episode, Tim basically values Bitcoin based on network effects, right? It's definitely not as as simple as a Metcalf's law type framework. It's uh, certainly probably draws on that school of thought, but he's got a very complex model's been pretty spot on in terms of his calling Bitcoin. We probably did a well at the time was I would guess kind of a relatively unpopular episode because we were calling for a much lower price of bitcoin than than what it currently was. Pretty sure I recorded I was in Sedona. So that was about that must have been February. This year, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 calling for a much lower price of Bitcoin, and uh, we we managed to even surprise that to the downside. So good for us. Um, yeah. Now, no what would you say, Mark? If you had to say what the the catalyst is for that, because I, what I, what yeah. I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about um, that, that I still see some weakness in terms of Bitcoin overall is in the, the mining space. Uh, and maybe we can get into why that is. But if you had to guess at a catalyst for what takes us lower on the Bitcoin side of things.
1: No, again, again, back to my questions, beat answers, brilliant mm. question um, that I, I don't really have the answer for, but but an answer, you know, we've had one major bankruptcy in mining. And uh, I think there's another one coming. And yet, yet. Hash rate hit a new all-time high yesterday. So so there's something else going on. And um, so there, there's part of me that says more stress in mining. You know, the lenders had a bunch of bad loans. They were going to start seizing collateral, um, you know, talking about all kinds of different things. There was one group that was going to try to raise some capital to buy out these these distressed assets at pennies on the dollar. So... We have this this manager we work with, I think we've talked about them in the past, JB Investments. Spectacular, right? They've done, I don't know, close to eight or nine funds over 20 years. They only raise a fund every two, three years. And they basically just, they're like, and you're too young to remember this, but when I was growing up, there were, you know, there were black light posters. There were these fuzzy posters that hang on the wall and, and you had this black light and they shone different colors and... Uh, there were this, there's one with these two vultures sitting on a, on a branch. And the one turns to the other and says, you know, patience, my ass, I'm going to kill something. And, you know, (laughs) vultures don't kill. They, they just wait for someone else to kill. Like, Nope, I'm I'm hungry. I'm going to go kill something. And so the, the whole patience is a virtue thing is, is what they do. So they just wait and wait and wait for major bankruptcies. In whatever sector, and they don't care what sector it is. So they've done auto parts, they've done airlines, they did Met Coal. Most recently, you know, in the summer of, of twenty one, they did energy, and their average return. Check this: their average return on their funds is seven point two x, seven point two
0: percent, seven point two x.
1: And so we were having a conversation this Monday at, at Investment Committee, saying, should we be talking to them about Bitcoin mining? Are there going to be enough bankruptcies to take enough supply out that that could be a really interesting investment? And, and we, we, we are, I think, we're going to have that conversation next week. But um, that's that's one that that you know a number of bankruptcies or a number of lenders basically just having to to pull uh, the loans that that could be a problem. Yeah. But but the market is is very resilient in that way, you know as you know we can they can adjust the difficulty um, there are some miners that <laughs> aren't supposed to exist right there's some Chinese mining if you actually look at the network there's still the last i the last number I saw I thought it was close to twenty percent of mining was still happening in the Chinese uh, region, which again <laughs> we 've all seen the picture of the guy with the miners on his back uh, walking to the to the hydro plant um, So, so that's, so the mining is
0: one. Can I I, I just explain for the audience, uh, just to qualify a couple of the, um, you know, to clarify some of the terms that you were just using there in case you aren't familiar. So the hash rate is basically the amount of computing power. It's a measure of computing power that's going towards securing the Bitcoin network. Traditionally, hash rate has been correlated with price. Um, There's a lot of debate on what, what drives it, uh, you know, what's the causal effect there? I would uh, raise my hand and say it's price that drives hash rate, and not the other way around. Just like any other commodity-driven industry, when the price of something goes up, supply tends to follow. You can kind of think of hash rate as the supply of computer power, right? Now, um, what, one of the so that's why those two things are typically correlated. Over the last year or so, uh, the as the price of Bitcoin has been falling, the hash rate has been going up. So I can see. If, let me see if I can share a chart with you here, just to show how funny this is. Um, it's very odd. Yeah, it is odd, and uh, the reason for that—the reason for that delta—basically, you can see for the last couple of years that that black line uh, oh, yeah. is the price of Bitcoin, and the orange is the hash rate. It's been very correlated. Although, the sun, if you look at this this last year or so, basically that that peak uh, of the Bitcoin price in November of 2021, it's been going down the other way. And the reason for that, um, you know, I, again, I'm not an expert in this space, but what I've heard is that miners have had a lot of access to. Cheap capital, right? So they've basically borrowed money to fund their mining operations. Uh, so typically in the past, you know, Bitcoin and crypto writ large goes through these big boom and bust cycles, uh, and that has kind of a, a cowing effect, right? So if you basically, uh, you know, had a, you know, there are economies of scale in mining, just like any other capex intensive business, and basically if you're you're well funded and capitalized, you've got a bunch of miners that you can amortize your costs over, like. And And you have the capital to kind of weather the storm. Typically, it's like just like uh, you know uh, stocks transfer from weak hands to strong hands uh, during bear markets. Same thing that happens with uh, Bitcoin mining rigs. What has been different this time is the sheer amount of capital that has gone towards funding miners, which has basically kept them in business when they shouldn't have been kept in business. Uh, and what that's meant is that as as the diff- as the hash rate has remained elevated, it means that the difficulty level hasn't reset. To compensate miners for a lower Bitcoin price, so basically the the Bitcoin network is still saying, "Hey, uh, there's an enormous amount of hash rate online. We're going to make it more and more difficult to to mine this Bitcoin because that's what the amount of hash rate is telling us." Meanwhile, the price of Bitcoin has fallen to you know levels which would, would which would dictate a much lower uh, difficulty in terms of actually mining and getting that Bitcoin. The net result of that is that it's basically never been as unprofitable to mine as it is today. Um, yeah. So now the lenders uh, are in a very difficult position as well, because you know Bitcoin mining equipment, it ages. So they're in this thing and, and they lent against the ASICs, right? So n- now they're in this kind of crappy position where it's like, okay, I've lent a bunch of money here. I've got uh, ASICs that are probably dated. And you know every day that goes by, my collateral is worth less and less. So I could turn around and sell these things for 50 cents on the dollar and recognize a huge loss. And so there is... Yeah, I'm definitely. not sure you
1: get 50. I I, yeah. look, I I think a lot of these things are are worthless. There there's no bids, and you know this is one of the reasons that we never really made many big investments in in mining. Is I could never get past the, you know the hype was always oh you know you get your money back in 18 months I'm like okay fine good get my money back fine, and then what? I'm like well what do you mean? I'm like well okay but then I depreciate those those assets and I have no salvage value I don't I don't invest to get my money back that that's not, that's not good and They're like, well no no that's like an 18 month that's like a 22% IRR I'm like no it's not I mean that's zero and so I mean I it was just it was amazing the the lack of of fundamental understanding of finance that, that a lot of these guys were pitching I shouldn't say guys, people. Um mm-hmm. although again most most of them were guys.
0: Most guys, um, probably. Let's yeah. be real.
1: Yeah. And yeah. so I I guess at the end of the day, um, you know, the mining and the collapse of of miners in terms of bankruptcies, that that could cause some stress. What I'm concerned about, as I said, what 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 I think this 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 day will, you know, live in infamy. Um, because what I'm gonna say now, no one wants to hear. and it's, 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 it's ringing of what I tweeted out right before Consensus um, back in June that no one wanted to hear it then either, that you know, we're back in a descending wedge pattern. And descending wedge pattern for people who you know, don't do technical analysis is you have a base level price. And the price of an asset keeps hitting that base level, whatever that, that number is, doesn't mm-hmm. matter what it is. And it bounces. You know, because there's support at that that level. But the bounces keep getting lower, meaning there's just less buying demand for that asset. And so when you get to the bottom of that triangle, I mean, it's literally a descending triangle uh, from left to right. you, You have a point at which either... You you break out and you finally get some some demand. The join us, that's why I'm wearing the damn socks. Okay, y'all join us, let let's let's go here. Or you break through the bottom of the wedge and and there is just no support. And I you know what I tweeted in in June was the longer we stayed at that 30 level, the more likely we were to head toward 15, which you know again, no one wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear. Um And we did Wick down to 17.5 or 17.8, whatever that final number was. And at first I thought that was enough and, you know, declared the end of crypto winter on on this show on, you know, the next week. And June 13th, I I do believe, I do believe was the end of crypto winter. My problem is this spring looks like we could get a nor'easter. And what I mean by that is every once in a while down here in Chapel Hill, we'll get a late snow. Like, it doesn't snow here very much. But what happens is you get a nor'easter, just gets stuck off the coast, and it just sucks all this moisture off the ocean and just dumps. And look, we can't deal with snow normally, but definitely not in in March. Um, so I'm concerned. We've been bouncing around this 19,000 level now, making that base. And we went to 24, 23, 22, 21, 20, 19, 5. And we are perilously close to busting through on the, on the, and, and the problem is, this is what I was talking to Tim about, which, which made me nervous. He's like 10 to 12, baby. I mean, that, that's, that's where it's going based on, says everything I look at. Again, you know, no one wants to hear it. Um, we're going to 10 to 12. Now, that's, that's the bad news, but. You say well, but Mark, okay, but what's the good news? There is good news. <laughs> well, you can buy it at ten to twelve. Pardon? <laughs> That's the good yeah, news. <laughs> I buy a lot at ten to twelve. Yes. Well, and 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 that actually is good news, right? Because if if you are in the accumulate, like if you do your job, what does that mean? So you know, everyone's seen my my video from where, whenever it was, two thousand seventeen or eighteen, whenever I was on uh, CNBC, and and you know. While I'm on, that goes from 10 to 8. And Melissa's all you know, giddy. <clears throat> and She's like, well, what should we do? And she's thinking, I'm going to say, oh, I should fold. I'm like, buy it. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, buy it. She's like, well, oh, you'd say that went to five. I'm like, yep, I would. Buy it today. Buy it tomorrow. Buy it next week. Buy it next month. And so what you should do is don't buy it all at once. What you should do is say, how much of the world's most powerful computing network do I want to own? That's what this is it 's the world 's most powerful computing network by orders of magnitude. How much of that do you want to own? Do you want to own half a percent? do you want to own three quarters of a percent do you want doesn 't really matter Just pick a number and then say i 'm going to buy some every week, every month every six months it doesn 't really matter but don 't buy it all at once. buy it over time and so yes if if we do flush this this descending triangle, that would give us a chance to buy more the 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 flip side. Um, do you watch Stranger Things?
0: I actually haven't seen the Oh my
1: one. gosh. Okay. You got you gotta watch it. Now again, it's not it's not as relevant for people who didn't grow up in the seventies and eighties like me, who are who are watching this like, oh oh my God, that's that's me. The bad hair, the bad clothes, the the posters of Farrah Fawcett. I mean, everything on the show is is just awesome. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yes. Um I mean <laughs> We majors, I mean, was our hero. Um, but look, it, it was so th- this show, it's really amazing. This show, and I've I've actually written about this, that, that show to me, I believe, is written by somebody who understands Fed policy. You're know, like, Mark, what the hell Stranger is this thing? show about the occult and and this it's it's called this the upside down? There's this you know, world underneath our world that is, you know, the antithesis, the evil world run by this, this evil character. What does that have to do with, with Fed? Well, um, there is this book written in 1910 about the plan to create the Fed that basically compared what the Fed was going to do by unleashing this inflation monster. Okay. And the picture was like an old sea monster with the big tentacles and all this stuff. Well, in the show, Two seasons ago, there's this thing called the Mind Flayer, and if you look at the picture of the Mind Flayer and this picture from 1910, they look exactly the same. And then, if you look at Hawkins National Lab, the place where they found the first uh, gateway into the the underground—I mean, the the um, not the underground, uh, the upside down—it uh, looks exactly like the Eccles Building. I mean, it's kind of freaky, and it's in Indiana, and so there's just just a whole bunch of stuff, but. My point is um, in this, I, I forgot my original point. Uh, in, the, but,
0: in the underground?
1: Oh, in the under, the, oh, it's the upside down. So there's this, this, there's this antithesis world. So the antithesis is, okay, we're, we're going to have this, this last cathartic collapse, which again, I don't really want to have happen. The flip side is, the other side is, I went back and I looked at the last bear market, the last cycle. And, and it's really interesting. If you count days, the June crash at Father's Day happened almost precisely within two days of the November crash in 2018.
0: I was going to bring this up, you know. One narrative that people would talk about, you know, a year ago, right? And this sounded very seductive because it sounded smart. It's like, look, we're not going to move in these, uh, you know, very predictable boom-bust four-year patterns forever, right? That that was that was the idea. But if but if you look at, I mean, the similarities to this cycle and how it's played out from a price action standpoint compared to the last cycle, I mean, it is scary. I mean, it is extremely extremely oh, similar. Oh
1: no, it, it's, so. And if you look at that, so on November. Um, 11. We're basically,
0: we're basically at the equivalent of 5K now, right? That's what it was. It consolidated. Remember, sorry, I knew you were going to say this. No, no no,
1: no, 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 no. I'm going to say we're at four, right? Mm. That that we we hit that that um, November 11th. We were at you know 6,6200, 6,000, and we cracked down to 3,200, and then we kind of bounced around 3,900, 4,000, all the way until the middle of February. If you count those days and then count back to June, you get end of October. So we're within days of the quote unquote end of crypto spring and the beginning of crypto summer. Now, the the crypto summer didn't go boom all the way up, but we had a leg uh, from like four to, to six and then we had a little bit of, of of resistance. And then we had the big moves to eight and ten and twelve. And it's interesting. So so I'm I'm torn. I'm I'm like living at one of these these portals uh to the upside down. About do I do I really think we're gonna have and and in the show, it, it's actually working, right? It is a sea of blood, like my pants. I mean, there's blood everywhere from, you know, this, this, the, the main character is a bad dude. I mean, Vecna is a bad, bad mm-hmm. dude. And, you know, Eleven, who's this, you know, the, the heroine, uh, you know, she can literally, you know, like every time she does her, her uh, extra sensory stuff, she bleeds out of her nose. So, so blood everywhere. Um, it's certainly possible. I don't – hell, I even got blood on my walls. Jeez. Um, It's like The Shining. Um, It's crazy.
0: Can can I – you know know one thing I think Bitcoin is going to have to do, and I actually think it's very well positioned to do this. Bitcoin is going to have to do some narrative rebuilding, right? Because, you know, for the last – However long people have been saying Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation, and I think that has been definitively proven that that's that's not really the case. And I know you can go back over, you can cherry pick your specific period of time and say, look at how it's protected. It doesn't matter. I think it's that's been well and truly decimated in the in the in the popular conscious. But what I think the narrative that's going to form on the other side of that is uh, Bitcoin is some kind of flag to wave against censorship resistance. I, I just see it like I don't know if you saw. I know this is almost a silly thing to point out, but. You see, Kanye West basically got kicked out of J.P. Morgan this oh, week. Oh, unbelievable! I'm, I'm not defending. I'm not look. I'm not defending. I'm not waiting into that swamp of analysis. There, nope. He said some pretty questionable stuff. He singled out a group of people. Whatever. The bank basically sends him this letter and says, "You have got, uh, you know, a month to to clear out and find a new bank." Kanye, you know, basically publishes it and, and makes this information public, and then and then uh, starts wearing a Bitcoin hat around. I, I'm not. I'm not casting any moral judgment on that. What I am saying. Is that people are gonna continue to get deplatformed on a social media basis and uh, from our financial system. The what Oh what, Michael, what, it's what, so
1: much worse than that. I mean, this is this is a really, really I mean, you think talking about the price of Bitcoin going down is scary and blood in the streets and snap down twenty-eight percent today and the market's collapsing. That is nothing compared to the point you're talking about, which is look. I don't like anything he said. I don't even like him. Like I just don't, I just don't like him either. I'm not a fan either. Right. I I just don't like people like that, but he's entitled to speech. I I mean, if it makes your skin crawl to listen to somebody, yeah, it's their right. And, and there's no hate speech should be prohibited. Who defines hate speech and all this, all this other stuff, but speech is great. But here's the problem. If, if what you say and what you do dictates your social credit score, and then you are systematically deplatformed and channeled, right? And, and we can take this to just grotesque ends. I mean, we are talking about Sinister Saturday. We're talking about seriously sinister stuff. And if that doesn't like terrify you It won't. You're not paying attention. it, attention? it,
0: It doesn't terrify people and it won't until you it's just one particular issue that you look at that you say, Hey, whoa, I you know, I agreed with everything before this, but I actually really don't agree with this particular action that state or the you know financial regulatory apparatus is taken and then it makes you question the rest of it there's no there's no way to hasten this process i think this is just something that has to play out with time but I, i'm again not casting any moral judgment not standing up for anyone or saying i agree with that speech or whatever i'm i'm just saying i'm also observing like you that this trend is happening and i think there will be a, a counteraction to it and bitcoin has this amazing ability to reform narrative and people as People pointed that out as a as a weakness to to Bitcoin as a space, but I see it as an enormous positive. And the other thing that I'll say, and on this on this podcast, and probably in general, I feel like I've been trying not to like super dump my personal views out. But you know, for the past kind of year, I've been pointing out an advantage that Ethereum has had. Right? We talked about this yep. on a show a couple months ago. If I had to be building in one ecosystem, I, I would have a, a very good idea of where that is. Yep. I do think that a lot of the folks in the Ethereum community are seeding arguments on censorship which i think is unwise uh, and oh you know, i i michael genius yeah, I, um, I just think it's genius. unwise i yeah. look i look i understand it i am a founder i live in america when i take these headphones off i'm going to be in new york i want to continue to live in this country yeah. at the same time you know if we seed permissionlessness if we seed censorship resistance i i just don't understand what we're doing then because it could all be on One or two centralized databases, and we could save ourselves the trouble, right? Look, I just don't. I I just don't. I
1: hope to that point. I hope there's some misquoting going on about SBF and what just happened this week about his testimony at Congress. I I didn't watch it, so I'm hoping that that there's misquoting because.
0: This is bad, right? Dun dun dun. This is as by villain. Uh, we we're getting a new villain here on on Twitter, but let me because let, let me tee it up for you. And I, I'd love to get your love to get your thoughts. So basically, SBF and 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 to to uh, maybe qualify this a little bit. I've kind of heard rumblings for a little while. There's I, I knew there's a lot of um what's the word that I'm lobbying basically lobbying on behalf of crypto and DC going on right now. As, as I would hope, frankly, I wish there was more, right? There are great organizations, Blockchain Association, Coin Center, those guys deserve an enormous amount of trade. And other big industry leaders, usually, frankly, like centralized infrastructure, uh, you know, has been lobbying for the industry. And what I've kind of heard before is that there are a couple of different camps and, you know, people have their viewpoints and to some extent, everyone kind of talks their own book. So basically, there's been a bill that's been that's been rumored that's getting passed through, it, you know, we were kind of, it was unclear how good or bad it was going to be for crypto and specifically DeFi. Now details have come out, uh, and Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, the CEO and founder of FTX, basically wrote this blog post detailing, "Hey, here's what, here's how I think regulation should look." And He actually he actually talked about a, a whole a whole a whole bunch of different problems, right, basically. But there there are a couple different sections to the the whole blog post that he wrote. We can link to it. Basically, uh, advocated for sanctions, allow lists, and block lists. So he advocated for uh, block lists um as a way to to be OFAC compliant and we'll describe what exactly that means. Uh he, he he talked about hacks and accountability. So this was actually just a he was kind of just proposed he proposed something called the five five standard uh, which is basically this would be a non-binding thing this wouldn't be put into law but basically just an industry standard. So what's been happening when there are crypto hacks is you know the project will negotiate with the hacker, right? And mm-hmm. this this famously just kind of happened with Mango. The Mango hackers Hundred nineteen million dollar hack or whatever it was, and looks like that hacker is going to keep an enormous amount of it. He kind of advocated for this thing that basically you keep the lesser of either five million or five percent of whatever the hack is, and you refund customers immediately. Which you know, to be honest, I thought that was actually uh, you know, I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was a, a
1: about the pretty cost pretty of FDIC insurance, about four percent.
0: Yep, yep. Um, asset listing. Uh, what is the security? So basically, calling on. Again, uh, the, the exchanges to kind of say, "Hey, this is what a security is and and, and what it's not." Um, and then he talked about tokenized equities. I, I don't really want to get get into that. He he kind of pointed out that in a in a traditional in the traditional tradfi system, like one trade, he talked about all these different intermediaries and and various counterparties yeah. uh, that would have to take settlement risk. It makes a lot of sense. It's not really my area. Mar- market structure in TradFi. It's not really my area of expertise. Do I think trading tokenized equities makes a lot of sense? Yes. Do I think that's where FTX's business is going? Yes. Where where SBF got a lot of pushback and heat from is he basically advocated for the base layer, the smart contract layer to remain permissionless and decentralized, but for front, front ends to be KYC compliant and comply with OFAC sanctions list, that would be the, the kind of blacklist, right? So there would be an, a centralized updated blacklist and if you're a if you're a front end, then you need to comply with that blacklist. You got a lot of pushback. Ba- basically the the pushback basically there is saying that,
1: that all of defi should be illegal. I correct.
0: Correct because the regulatory onus serving be, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Now, now maybe I can maybe let me draw out the the problem with this and then and then the the steel man argument for it and you tell me where you fall down. The, the Steelman argument, the pushback for this is, look, De- DeFi cannot exist in this particular way, right? The whole idea of DeFi is that you've got these, these backends and you can basically use it as like a widget, like a Lego, right? And you can say, hey, let me link to Uniswap here, boom, on this front end, really easy, right? And it's just software and it's non-custodial too. So there's no reason why non-custodial software should be regulated as a broker-dealer, right? That that just doesn't make a lot of sense. No. Nope. On the other hand, what I think the US's perspective could be is, guys, we have OFAC sanctions for a reason. What we want to do is prevent child molesters, terrorists, rogue governments from funding their activities, right? You, and basically what crypto is saying is we don't want to be regulated like this, but we're not really coming up with any solutions that allows, allows for that, right? Which is we, we, we cut these people off from the financial system for a good way. That, that's, that's how I would kind of tee up both arguments. Yeah, where you, where it goes to this
1: me? whole censorship resistant thing, Michael. You know, who gets to decide, you know, what is on that list, right? You know, yeah. when you hear the word terrorist, you're like, oh, okay, fine. I don't like terrorists. But I would say if, if we called sanction I didn't, I stole this from somebody, but if we called sanctions, starving women and children, far fewer people would like them right when we say we're going to starve people in Iran because we don't like them um you know we don't like their policies or their procedures or whatever it is but who's they and you know it's like it's like this whole nonsense you know you hear the president saying you know the oil companies should not be raising oil prices during a war like we're not at war congress didn't declare war what are you talking about i mean so yeah, you know, now they're talking about sending another fifty billion dollars to Ukraine. Like, what? What? I mean, I, to the people listening here, does anyone want to write a check? I mean, do fifty billion divided by you know three hundred thirty million people in the United States? Do they want to write a check for that to to Ukraine? I I I don't see it, and I just I struggle with why does one group get to decide, you know, who's good, who's bad. Why does cannabis industry not get to use the banking system?
0: That's probably, you know what, see. that's a great example of it because cannabis companies have not had access to any capital. And, and now well, arbitrarily, you know, 50 some odd years after who is the guy, the paper magnet, he went to yeah. my high school, I should know this. Basically lobbied against hemp because it was a competitor to paper. Finally, the U.S. government is saying we shouldn't regulate cannabis the same way that we uh, outlaw heroin. You know, (laughs) which is crazy. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this news this week. Murdoch, cannabis is going to be. It wasn't Murdoch. It's um. It's going to kill me. Um, but uh, but uh, weed is going to be legal in gas stations in Florida now. Yeah. So there you go. You know, and. So that I'm totally with you on that mark, but you know, you know what needs to happen is there needs to be an Overton window shift here because I'll tell you what I see a couple bipartisan issues. I see anti-China and I see spend as much money as we possibly need to. (laughs) Those are the those are the two bipartisan issues that I see in the United States right now. Tell you what, I do not see a bipartisan issue on is standing up for privacy. I just don't see it. I I don't. I don't see worse. Worse. It's strip it away.
1: You know, privacy. Privacy is is so gone. And yeah. but for most of us, like the fact that someone somewhere is listening to our conversation. Um, okay, whatever. Now we're probably not a high priority. So they're not really listening that closely. Again, back to Stranger Things. You know, part of it is, is in the show, one of the gates is in the United States and one of the gates is in Soviet Union and you know this is the time back in in 85 where you know Soviet Union was still the enemy the USSR the you know. and one of the funny things is is they have they try to rescue this this one guy who was captured by the Russians cuz he gets pulled through the the gate and long story short they they have this guy trying to explain to them that yes you you can pick up that phone and and call your friends in the United States but just know that the KGB will be listening to every word you say. So I got it. We're using the open internet and we have no privacy. Okay. But I still have some semblance of privacy in theory on you know how I spend my time, how I spend my money. But we're moving toward a world we're where moving. that rapidly disappears. And yeah. that's the part... That you know just it the the more you dive into Cbdc's, which to me I say evil incarnate uh, and the idea of programmable fiat um, it it does make you see that that the narrative shift that you talk about and just just one one mo- minor clarification that I don't want to get lost um I actually still believe Bitcoin is is an amazing devaluation hedge so I you know again I don't think what we have today the CPI number that we're all looking at I don't, I don't believe it is inflation right the old demand pull inflation I think what it is is currency devaluation and I actually think Bitcoin has done exactly what it should have done relative to current when, when dollars are being created it went up when you know the money supply for the first time in 40 years shrunk which is amazing I didn't think they could actually do it uh, it went down. And yet, in other places, like you know Turkey, where it just goes up every day um, because they just destroy their currency every day so so that that one little mini uh modification but the but the the self sovereignty piece of of bitcoin and it could be beyond bitcoin it could be other elements to your point of of ethereum and and uh the like is is pretty important because if we're headed to this sinister world where every decision we make is is not going to be our free decision anymore, it's going to be going through this checkpoint of, hmm, you want to spend money at 7-Eleven today. Well, you know, we got paid a bunch of money by, you know, kangaroo cart. And so I'm sorry 7-11 just doesn't work. You got to go find a kangaroo cart and 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 buy your stuff there or uh Kangaroo Mart. Um I I don't know. It bothers yeah.
0: me. Look, every every it's this is a game measured in in inches, but then you kind of wake up at the end of the day and it's it's moved an enormous amount. And you know, for for some people who are listening to this podcast, what we're talking about is going to resonate, and you're going to say, "Hey, like I, I, I could point to a couple of things in, in the last two years that I, I really didn't agree with, and uh, it, it's made them think, and, and then there are probably some other people who are listening on this podcast and thinking, actually I, I like a lot of this, the action that the the banks and the, the state has taken, and I agree with a lot of these things, and yeah. wh- the, the reality is I'm not going to change anyone's mind uh, and, I, and I really no, do but think- here's the thing: tyranny.
1: Can sound good if it's against someone you don't like.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with Until you. Until
1: it happens to you, right? Then you don't like, like it. Whoa! Well, he said something bad, so he's kicked out of the bank. But but imagine, I mean, literally imagine, just a family trying to to live your life, and your bank says, you know what, your account's closed, and then you go try to open another bank, and like, oh. You got closed by Bank of America. I'm sorry, your money's not good here either. What are you gonna do? I mean,
0: yeah, I
1: I don't, I, I don't know. Tyranny, it's a very slippery slope. So I, I get it that there are people who who cheer. Sometimes other people's misfortunes, like Lou Holtz used to say, "Don't tell other people your problems because ninety percent don't care, and ten percent are glad you have them." So. <laughs>
0: That's so funny That's oh so no funny. i
1: mean and it's very true and it's very sad um but yeah it's yeah. It's, it's 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 all fine until it's you i'm and with you. i i said i you know i love america i love Thank living you here too. you know and and here's there's there's jonathan um Lapchik, uh who's a uh, CEO of a company that we invest in called Infinite Worlds, just got a citizenship. And the look on his face, waving his little flag, standing in front with his certificate, being an American citizen, I'm like, that That, that makes me warm all over. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, here's a guy, one of the smartest people in our space, could live anywhere he wants, could be a citizen yep. of any country in the world, and he chooses Despite all the nonsense, despite all the hate on both sides of the aisle, despite all the problems that we talk about every you know Saturday on the show, this guy still wants to be an American citizen.
0: And For like, sure, yeah, huh, it's a great that's country. Pretty that's
1: cool. Pretty. That's really cool.
0: Maybe one thing that this show does, I, I hope it helps people, is just just almost take yourself out of. I feel like, especially right now, when things about things in terms of blue versus red, and you know, you know what? Here is an interesting thing that's flipped. Take yourself back to 2001, right? Post 9/11, we got the Patriot Act, and the way that you looked at the world back then was you had these these Republicans on the right that wanted to go and invade other countries and take their oil and you know impose U.S. values in Afghanistan and all this stuff. Yeah. Now, now, just just pointing out, uh, you have instead the left, right, the Democratic apparatus, which is saying we need to stand up to bullies. They're also advocating that the U.S. gets involved in a foreign war, which is going to be <clears throat> costly, and you've got actually people on the right saying, hey, maybe this isn't really our fight and we, we shouldn't get involved here. It's, it's just, unbelievable. It, look, it's, it's, unbelievable. Just funny, it's just funny to point out how these things change over time. Yeah. And then the, the ultimate one, who are our biggest, who do we have a power competition with now? Russia and China, right? We Everyone, everyone says Putin is bad, Russia is bad, we don't like that. Uh, you know, Xi Jinping, worried about that guy too. And who do we love? Germany and Japan. Go back to World War II. Who are we fighting? Germany and Japan. Germany who and Who are Japan. our allies? Who are yeah. our allies? China yeah. and Russia. It's like it, it's so it's it's just funny because it's such a perfect flip. All right, now we've been talking a yeah, lot it's about
1: because most people, unlike yourself, who who loves to study history, and you know Churchill is right. The further back you look, the further forward you can see, or farther mm-hmm. forward you can see. And there's nothing new in this world. I mean, there's there's just not, and it it all goes back to the Greeks and and the Romans. We've talked about this yeah. many times um i mean there's just nothing new in this world but that that is a great example of hey step back zoom out and realize that the world shifts and there are there are changes over long periods of time and and i think we're at one of those historic moments because of technology right which is why we're all kind of doing what we're doing and and it creates the issues that we're struggling with. And so I, so I understand that. I guess the one thing for me is there was an element of number go up-ism that I think created an uh, an image of this sector, right? Mm-hmm. Get Rich Quick and scams and, and Ponzi's. That's not why you're here. It's not why I'm here. It's not why the people no, listen to this no, podcast no, no. Are here. You're not, not even close, right? But the fact is if we have another like number go down event, like we get an air gap of demand and and I think I quoted these stats a couple couple uh, shows ago, but just just a reminder. So, you know, we were raising our, our third venture fund and things were looking great through May 15th. And on May 15th, we had 37 people in the pipeline, organizations, institutions. You know, sure. Et cetera. Two closed. 35 out of 37 were like, woo, we're out. Half were like, we're out. It's not you, it's us, right? It's, we're scared of the market. You know, We're scared of number go down. We're scared of bear market. We just don't want anything to do with this. About a quarter were like, yeah. There's just we need more time to get to know you and really understand what your focus is. I, I, that's fine. Um, yeah. You know, we're trying to get people off zero, um, but but the fact is, the bear market scared a lot of people away because of this number go up mentality. And if you go back to the building, and and this is what know has gotten me so excited in the last couple of weeks is you know i went out to a couple of conferences and i met with these these you know guys and gals who are building communities building products you know I'm, I'm sitting here puzzling today there's this this new deal that unfortunately we didn't participate in um the poly chain led um this creating modular it? blockchains
0: and i'm like which project
1: is this who you know? I I I should I should remember the name of it, Michael, but I I can't, because um, I I don't I don't I'll, I I only saw the the announcement and I was like, oh wait a second, and and I and I dug into the founder on Twitter and I started reading some of his stuff. I'm like, wait a second, and it reminded me because my son's at Snowflake and what Snowflake did by separating data and compute um, is yeah. really extraordinary, and it's refined and I got Databricks and other companies like that. But what he was describing to me was that fundamental, that if you could break the blockchain into three modular components, then we wouldn't need these monolithic chains that are so unwieldy as they they become large. I'm like, holy moly, this could super accelerate adoption and integration and, and we could get onto these new rails. And I was like, Hmm, I need to spend time on this and, Mm -hmm. uh, hold on, I'll find the name of it.
0: Well, while you're doing that, I want to, you know, we're, we're, I want to make sure we touch on some macro stuff. And, you know, the reason why I think that the headline, at least from my perspective, uh, in, in the world of macro, and I can, I can share some charts here is I kind of feel like we're in limbo. Especially over here in US land, although it does seem like stuff is starting to break abroad. Uh, and you know, I've I've you know, when it was putting charts together this week, I, I kind of feel a little bit like a broken record, right? Because everyone has kind of accepted the idea now that we're headed towards a downturn, right? This is, yep. you know, this is the Fed's beige book. It's mentions of downturn or or, or slow slowdown or or whatever. And it's Everything's kind of pointing towards, you know, this is uh, mentions for the beige book uh, over ISM, you know, manufacturing index PMI. Everything is kind of pointing down. All these forward-looking indicators. At the same time, the the things that the Fed is looking at, it hasn't changed. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. it's the stuff that we talked about week over week. U.S. initial jobless claims tick down again, tick down again. Look at on the on the chart on the left. It's that fat blue line. It is still, despite the hurricane and the uptick in initial jobless claims we still tick down on the week. So, and, and continuous job, continuing jobless claims, it's still at this record low. So yeah. the Fed has basically picked the most lagging indicator of the entire economic cycle, which is employment. And they've said, w- w- this is what we need to see higher. And, and until then, we're going to keep raising rates. So I don't really have anything particularly new to point out here, right? I'm, I'm also looking at existing home sales. We know that that has to soften. Right, because we've got, you know, we we have um the 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 thirty year mortgage Although rate, the is housing
1: market, two
0: and a half times higher than it was, the
1: greatest collapse we've ever seen. Just yeah. just full stop. Right, we we we've we haven't seen a level of of change in interest rates like this ever. So even in the seventies when interest rates went really high and they were at twenty percent for a couple moments. It wasn't the same. Like you go from fourteen to twenty. That's not the same difference as going from three to six. And I tweeted out this this visual. You know, basically, your mortgage on a six hundred thousand dollars house. You know, average house price in the United States was a crazy number. Um, in fact, have you seen the that Saturday Night Live skit of Dan Aykroyd doing Jimmy Carter talking about this in in the early eighties, oh. talking about Oh no, it's amazing. You got it. You got to. You got to look it up. And he's like, you know, "Wouldn't you like to live in a five hundred thousand dollar house and, and drive a you know fifty thousand dollar car?" I, I know I would. Wouldn't you like to be worth a million dollars? I know I would. And you're like, "No, no, It's just funny money, right? It's not not real really? money." So, but the point is, your mortgage payment went from two thousand dollars a month to three thousand dollars a month in the last six months.
0: I think it's even think worse than that. that, isn't it?
1: Think about it's, that. Yeah. $2,000 to $3,000, $1,000 a month. Did anyone's income go up $1,000 a month over that period? No way. And you know, this goes, I was talking, debating somebody on, on Twitter about Netflix. And they're like, oh, you know, the, you know people will would, would never turn off Netflix. You know, it's, a, it's a little luxury. I'm like, well, okay, here's the thing. If your mortgage payment just went up $1,000 a month, how many little luxuries do you got to trim to make that payment? And so I think economic activity, look, the third quarter number somehow, and I think it has to do with inventories or something is, is probably going to show positive. And everybody's "Oh, the recession's over. See, I told you, I, I think the housing collapse, uh, over the next nine to 12 months is, is going to be epic. Like, like bad, bad. And I think that's going to drive, I think first quarter GDP, uh, could be one for the record books, negative. I mean, it's seasonally really, really negative, but I think this year could be, could be really, really bad. And earnings, look, the whole earnings nonsense of, you know, <laughs> Tesla, you know, you knew I couldn't go, go without Tesla. Tesla lowered their earnings guidance the night before by 9%. Yeah. The night before, so they yeah. could beat. They lowered it from $1. nine to $1 to like report $1.01 One and quote-unquote beat. And the only way they beat was because their accounts payable went up $2.8 billion. They just didn't pay their bills. So if you're a creditor, you know, I, I, but, but my point is that's not a beat. If you told me you were going to make a dollar, and the problem is six months ago, they said, oh, we're going to make $2 or whatever it was. And you lower it to a dollar, and you make a dollar one. one. That, that's not a beat. So that nonsense, I think, is is over. And, and I think you know we're seeing it right with the snap just debacle this morning. And I think there's going to be a lot of companies that have these types of debacles over the next two quarters, and it's just going to be ugly.
0: Look at the amount of tech stocks until since their IPO that are, that are now flat or down. Oh, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty oh, they incredible. All,
1: and, and if you overlay the classic bubble chart, right, with the bubble, the drop, the return to normal, and then the collapse, I mean, it's like deja vu. Mm-hmm. They, they're exactly the same. Look at Shopify and Peloton and, and all these things. They all go up parabolically, and then they have a drop, and then they go back almost to the top, and then bam. And look, it's-
0: Well, you're, you're missing a step. The first, they blame the shorts.
1: Oh, of course. Of course. Well, and here's the the funny thing. Uh, I was again talking to, on Twitter with a guy about this the other day. He's like, he's keeping a list of all these companies that are down eighty percent and thinking if he should buy or not. And he's like, I think I'm gonna wait till they're down ninety, because you know the difference between down eighty and down ninety is is uh, you know, you've lost half your money. And I'm like, Okay. But then he's then he says something interesting. He says, Yeah, but if you're down ninety, you know, I don't think you're viable. And I go, okay, you got to call Meb Faber and talk about the, the law of 90%, which is actually 90% is the point at which industries are really you know raging by. We're not quite there. Um, yep. But the problem with down 90 and down 95 is you've lost half your money. So it can go lower than you think. And here's a crazy stat. NASDAQ, which is down, what, 33, 34 year to date, still trading at 33 times. And it ain't growing. I mean, Netflix unit, I mean, revenue growth is the lowest in their history.
0: Yeah.
1: 6% lowest in their history. So why would you pay 22 times for something growing 6%? You wouldn't, but they, they, they changed the narrative on this whole nonsense about subscriber growth. Like, look, if I give people free for a month, that that's not a real subscriber. Show me the conversion. Show me the people that are sticky. And you know, I, I, I'll leave it one last thing, which I always think is funny. Um, and I think you, you mentioned this, um, Ben, um, from, uh, what does he write? Um, uh, Stratetri? No, 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 no. Ben from Texas. Um, oh, shoot. Anyway, I'm totally blank on his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he did this thing where he, he analyzed IBM stock over mm-hmm. nine years versus Salesforce. And if you actually look at their performance in terms of revenues and earnings, they're not that dissimilar. But over the nine years, Salesforce went up like, I don't know, 20 times. I mean, some crazy percent, some crazy number. Ben Hunt, Ben Hunt. And and IBM was basically flat. Epsilon Theory. Epsilon Epsilon theory. Theory. And here's the thing. Over that period, for nine years, Mark Benioff went on CNBC once a quarter you know, the day after earnings to explain the narrative, to explain why adjusted EBITDA and community value was so important. And the woman from IBM never went on TV. Okay. And he was just on TV again, even though they were, had dismal results explaining the narrative and people buy this stuff. And I don't, I don't understand how, it's like when, Adam Newman went on and talked about community adjusted ebitda like no adam you don't get to say that you spent money to build a community but that doesn't count cuz it was an investment like no that that's money you spent you don't have it now and when you go bankrupt which you probably should have you can't pay it back so the nonsense stuff of the hype machine people I, I think is going to reach epic proportions over the next couple of quarters. And I think people just need to be wary.
0: Yeah. You know, I, 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 I still, I still from a subjective standpoint, at least for me, I, I still don't think there are, there are more signs that a bottom is in right. People are yelling at each other less. There's less you, you and you know, yeah. there's probably, there's probably a heavy correlation between, Twitter engagement and frankly, what we see on the back end of our YouTube and conference attendance and stuff like that, and volatility in in price bit and you know a lot of people have made a lot of noise about you know we talked about this last week I think that Bitcoin is now less volatile than Dow Jones and obviously we're cherry picking a certain period of time but volatility has completely collapsed. Actually, one you know we had Dash London this past week. People were talking very very sophisticated people at very large uh, traditional trading firms. How that was actually an, a disadvantage, right? People came to uh, to crypto for the volatility, and now there's more volatility in traditional markets, so it's actually competing yeah. for capital there. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not yep. smart enough to know if that's a, a valid argument or not. What what I what I do think though is that markets bottom in in boredom, basically. Uh, <laughs> no, and-
1: look, it it's it's absolutely true, and I I dis- I, I, I agree with with all of that, mm-hmm. uh, Celestia. Celestia mm. with a C. Celestia is the name of that company. Uh, I was. Oh, nice. About. Again, I don't know anything about them other than I really like the Polychain guys, and I think they're really smart. And um, and uh, I think there's something. I think this, the innovation that's out there is extraordinary, right? The opportunity to invest in innovation is is like you know only one other time in in the '90s around the internet. The, the thing I am concerned about, and and you know we started with this, we'll end with it, that. Um, you know, it we're at a perilous point. And if we don't hold this this level, this you know, 19 level, and we're already a little bit lower than that, um, there is air gap risk. And and look, it over the long term, that's incredibly bullish if you want to own the the network. In the short term, it's going to be a whack to the narrative and to the, the confidence and to the, to the join us movement, mm. right? My socks. We need people to join us. We need people to come. Matt Hogan tweeted this morning about, you know, we've been doing it all wrong. We've been trying to get the pension funds and the endowments and the big institutions. And we really haven't been focused on the, the financial advisors. And that's actually, who's going to come in first right? One of the big organizations, the Morgan Stanley's, the UBS or somebody's finally going to flip the switch and those financial advisors are going to get in. And then, you know, and look, they're the, the smartest endowments they've already gotten in, right? They're in paradigm and A16Z and, and all that. Um, a couple pension funds are in, but 83% of pension funds, zero. And 63% of those, no plan to change. Crazy, crazy. But I mean, I say crazy because I'm biased, but um, – and I shouldn't insult my potential future investors. Um, <laughs> and it's, I'm not insulting them. I'm insulting Probably that decision. That, that decision yeah. I disagree with. That I, I'm not insulting them. I just disagree I with that decision. Yeah. I think zero is the wrong number as a fiduciary. Um, but, but look, I, I think if, if we do have this, this melt that Tim thinks is coming, that will harm – It'll set us back. It'll be like the snail that you know went up three feet and then fell two feet and then has to go. So it it's we're still gonna make progress, but it it will be it'll be ugly. So I hope yeah. I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope we're a week away from the end of crypto spring and the beginning of crypto summer. We'll know when we get together again next week.
0: Hope so too. All right, Mark. Cheers. This has been fun. As always, I'll see you same time next week.
1: Thank you, my epic friend. <laughs> Goodbye, my friend. Bye.